You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I'll be your host, Abraham. And I'm Ryan O. One thing we want to ask you real quick. Did you notice... Ooh, let's do it this way. Did you notice any sort of change in our audio? And if so, what episode was it? Let us know in the comments, email, whatever you prefer. Yeah, perfect. Um, cool. <laughs> and if you go back and you find it post after I've said that, then please let me know as well. But if you noticed, it would be pretty cool to know. And if you're lying, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> then we have the perfect episode for you. Yes. Um, so this is actually, I want to start this off by talking about the fact that this is going to be a two-part episode. We're deliberately splitting this up because there are two topics that we're going to try and cover relatively in depth that are totally related to one another, and that is truth and lies. Or am I lying to you? Or am I telling the truth? Ooh. (laughs) Um, no, this is actually really interesting to me. And one, one thing I've, I've been wanting to do for a while, but I wasn't totally comfortable or confident, I guess, on how we were going to approach it. And so... Um, I've really just been fascinated by this concept of truth and lies, and especially thinking about people who don't necessarily have a very good verbal, like they don't have very good verbal skills. And I'm thinking about people who have an intellectual disability. Okay. If they just say something and it's not really in context and they're maybe even just repeating something they heard from someone else, is, is that a lie if it's not really contextually appropriate, if it's not based on anything? And so that gets to the point of, does lying mean you have to understand what you're saying or what is telling the truth? And there's so many things that are involved in this. I got really interested in this whole idea of just what is truth? What do we mean when we say truth? And, and what, is, what does all that mean? And I think I want to be really careful when we start that we're not just trying to say that because we're going to talk about truth and we're going, to decon- we're going to deconstruct it in a way that makes it so it's not so black and white as you might think that truth really is. It's one of those things where we, where we tackle and it's, it's just different from um, it, it seems very intuitive and there's just more to it than that. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we really try and do on this show is to find these things where it seems like we already know what they mean and maybe there's more to it than what we think is there. Yeah. And so this is one of those things. And I actually think probably we'll continue to revisit truth and and some of the things we wanted to bring up in this episode and future episodes because it's such a really fascinating topic and there's so much to it. Yeah, we already hinted at it a couple times. Yeah, we totally have. It's come up before because there is this underlying, I guess, worldview you kind of have to have and philosophy. And when, you're, when you deal with these philosophy and things, you have to have an idea around things where you will accept certain statements as being true or you'll reject, or you'll reject those statements as being false. And you have to have some kind of criteria for doing that if you're going to agree or disagree with something. So let me start with the definition of truth. Is that good? Okay. Yeah, let's, we should do that. Okay. So it's a statement that is in accordance with reality and facts. Yeah. Start, we're just going to start with that. Yes. And th- there's a lot of important pieces in there. And the very first one is that this is truth is a statement. Okay. So a, a true statement is a statement and it, that is in accordance. Okay. And so this is called the correspondence theory of truth. And there's some other theories of truth. And there are also philosophers who argue instead that there is not a like theory of truth, that truth is the most basic concept that it can, that it can be that is not more well understood beyond just the concept of truth itself. So they would basically say truth just is what it is. It's just true or it's not true. That's all there is to it. And there's no explaining it. That definition also had reality and facts, though. It, it did. And that changes for a lot of different people, what constitutes each. Yes, absolutely it does. And we'll totally get into that. And I just want to go back to this uh, before we move on, that, that, that 
those philosophers that often treat truth as it, it's just a basic unit. It's the, um, the atomic unit of reality, which is a good band name. <laughs> so, boom, credit that. Anyway, so yeah, truth is the most basic atom unit of reality as it exists um, because it's just one of those basic things. And um, that's not the approach that we're taking here. Instead, we're really taking a different approach that is more like the, uh, the definition that we gave, that truth is a statement that is accordance with those reality and those facts, and what is reality and what is facts, and what's important there also is accordance. What does accordance mean? And uh, we'll get into some of those things. Cool. So you and I have both read Pepper's World Hypotheses. Yeah, his name was Stephen Pepper. He wrote a book in 1945 called World Hypotheses. And his whole, the whole purpose of this book was just to say there are these different worldviews and I'm going to create a system that categorizes what those worldviews are. And he came up with four. My understanding, real quick, is that it's not generally hugely accepted. Is that right? I actually don't know for sure. Okay. I, I believe that it's not particularly popular. I don't think this gets referenced a whole lot anymore, although it was really influential in the development of some of the psychological field theories in, I want to say the 70s and 80s. Okay. I could be wrong about that date. Yeah. Those things are always so hard to pin down, I guess, too, because, I mean, anything that's in print (laughs) uh, nowadays, like, it's just not circulating like it was back then, too. Totally. Like, the mediums change so much more. Right, yeah. Having everything available online and... Not to mention who wants to just, like, interact with philosophy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I get it. It's, it's hard for me even to like sit down and I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it can be dense stuff and difficult to really understand what they're even trying to say sometimes. So let's unpack Pepper and what he had to say. So there's a few different worldviews, right? Yeah. So he basically came up with four and we're going to talk about some others as well. And so really succinctly, uh, one of the ones he called formism and what the, the truth for someone who takes the formism approach is that is when our statement corresponds to things and events in the world. So if I'm holding an apple and I say this is an apple and what I what the word apple means corresponds to all the things that I'm holding, then then it's true. It's just a true statement, which is actually kind of similar to the idea that truth is just the most basic concept. Yeah. And so if I'm holding an apple and am I holding an apple right now? No, you're holding a Starbucks cup. Oh, okay. So then what I said was not in correspondence with reality or the thing or event in the world because our, my understanding and your understanding of the world apple is different from the thing I was holding. Nor are they a sponsor. No, nor are they a sponsor. Important point. I was holding a cup. We'll call it that. <laughs> okay. So that's the first one, formism. So the next one is mechanism, which I've also been told is very, very similar to this thing called elemental realism. Mm-hmm. That's, so if people are into that, it's supposed to be a more modern kind of approach to this one. This, and this shows up a lot in, in most science journals. They'll talk about a mechanistic approach, and that is simply talking about things in terms of their structure and components, and that's not necessarily what, what Pepper meant when he talked about mechanism. Yes. So for him, truth is when our predictions match our verbal statements, simply. Yeah. Right? So it's the idea that the world is organized in a particular way. If we know that order, then we can make statements about what will turn out given a particular order, and if they do turn out that way, then boom, True. So if I look at an apple, you, Abraham, say it's an apple, Mm -hmm. and then I say apple, and I know apple now. Was that a form of mechanism? Um, It might be instead that if you you pick a fruit that is red and crunchy and comes from a particular type of tree, that that will be an apple, and then I go and I find that fruit, and it is indeed an apple, then you're like, called it, apple. (laughs) Nailed it. Okay, perfect example. Okay. So that's the second one. 
Uh, the next one he talks about is a little bit weird. I kind of had a hard time wrapping my head around this one, but he calls it organicism. And the idea about this one is that tr- uh, truth is when you have a statement that makes sense when it fits inside of a coherent story. And coherence actually comes back to this idea of accordance, but we'll get to that later. So if I can have a like narrative or a story about reality and all of the parts of that story make sense together, then that is true. And this exists a lot in the worldview of people who are very superstitious, who um, people who embrace a lot of conspiracy theories, um, people who are very doubtful of like scientific authority figures. I, I tend to see that people that they have this. They often have a story about what reality is, and as long as the um, any information they have fits inside the narrative of that story, then it's true. And anything that doesn't fit inside the narrative of that story would not be true. Okay, cool. I think you summarized that one like perfectly. Thanks. That's a hard one. Um, the fourth one's contextualism, and with that one, we talk about truth occurs when statements produce some sort of effective outcome. So when it when it works for us, yeah, then truth has happened. Yeah. So if I say this is an apple. And then I take a bite out of it, and I'm like, oh, sweet, I got some nutritious food. And I'm like, so, okay, yeah. cool. That was a good, true statement because it produced, I was able to eat this apple. But I say there's an apple, and then I take a bite out of it, and it's a rock. I'm like, nope, that was not true. Did yeah. not produce meaningful outcome. I have a broken tooth, not an apple. <laughs> yeah, and that's the one that we, we orient ourselves towards a little bit more, right? Uh, certainly, I, I do less now than I used to because someone really pointed out you could do this in the exact opposite direction where you can produce you can have statements about things that produce meaningful outcomes and they don't otherwise really make sense and they don't really fit with other like philosophical assumptions that I have about the universe. Do you have an example of the apple on that? Uh, <laughs> going back to the apple, the infamous apple. <laughs> um, so with the, uh, with the apple, it might be someone who says something like, that is a gigantic crunchy grape. And I think about it and I'm like, well tastes like an apple, but it does meet what you said of it being a gigantic crunchy grape. So I guess I can't argue with it. Maybe that's not a really great example, but I think you can. I can't fool you. Yeah. Yeah. So you can just sort of twist it around. So it has, it it produces the outcome you want, but it doesn't really make sense with what you know about the world. And, and then there's another one that it's sort of wrapped up in all of these a little bit and maybe, maybe it exists on its own, but this idea of truth by agreement. Yes. And this is, a lot of philosophers have acknowledged that this is a pretty work, uh, pretty weak form of truth. So this is something where I've had some friends, who I'm not going to name, <laughs> <laughs> not that they ever listen to this podcast, but some friends who say things such as, I believe in this because so many people can't believe in this and it be wrong. Yeah. And, and so I'm thinking, well... A lot of people believe the opposite of that. So what's if you the... switched over there, would yeah. you have the same view? Exactly. Right? <laughs> so what's the number of people you have to need? Is it a ratio of people or is it just a threshold of once you've got a thousand people who agree, then we're solid this is truth? Because in that case, you're both right and you both have opposite opinions <laughs> about this. Yeah. So I can think of some things that we've argued about in the past that fall in that. Yeah. you and I. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, one thing that was kind of cool of this system when I dove into it is... None of them are right or wrong, right? Yeah. Like, they're a totally separate system. And Pepper says really explicitly, like, you can't judge one from the other's perspective. Exactly right. So you can't be an organicist and look at mechanism and say, mechanism is not true because I'm an organicist. 
I mean, you could say that, but it doesn't necessarily make the mechanism mechanistic worldview untrue. Yeah, it doesn't make one weaker or stronger than the other. Exactly. They're only to be really valued and critiqued with by themselves. Yeah, and most people who subscribe to this system really only view those four as the only ways that you can sort of have worldviews, and there might be some variation within them. Um, but I, I feel like maybe that some things have changed and evolved over time that have made it so there might even be additional worldviews in there. But... Yeah, this whole idea that having whatever you acknowledge as being true, that makes sense for you. And I can't necessarily say that what makes sense for me has to also make sense for you. And so those, just because someone doesn't necessarily agree on what criteria makes something true, makes the other person's view of that thing incorrect. So I guess coming back to this definition that we used, and I'm just going to say it again so that we're all on the same page. Truth is a statement that is in accordance with reality and facts. I want to continue to unpack that. So the position we're actually really taking on truth is that it is simply a statement and it does not exist independent from reality. It is just words that exist inside of that reality, not outside of it. And there's someone I'm going to quote that is gives a really, really great example of this. But before I do, to highlight my point, I'm going to ask you a series of questions just about things so I can sort of show if it's a statement, then if I look at other things in the world, are they true outside of that statement? Mm -hmm. Okay? So is this table true? The table in front of us, like that we're recording the podcast on. Yep. Is this one true? Uh, no. I don't know. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Well, why? Because it's there. I see it. Okay, is and the it, air and, true? And it and it holds our stuff, which okay. is what I've been told the table does. Why does that make it true? I don't I don't know. Can it just be a table? I mean it could be, yeah. And there's there's no truth or false to it. You know, it's and maybe maybe if it was a table that folded up and had some kind of magic compartment in it, maybe it would be a false table by <laughs> but that's a different criteria. And how about is that thing that you can't see that I'm pointing to, is that true? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and so if I'm unspecific about the thing I'm asking you about, so I believe in a thing. Is that thing true? I really, I really don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I'm getting at here is that things in and of themselves aren't true or false. They're just things. They just exist. And that it's only when we make statements about them that that gives them some, we now treat them as if they could potentially have a true or false state. Uh, of existence. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this quote that I, I just really, really love. And this completely sort of blew my mind when I heard it the first time. Ready? Go. Prepare for your mind to be blown. Okay, here it goes. We arrive at a different conclusion when we admit of only one reality, one universe, but not the universe of which we might speak if we could, but rather the universe of speaking itself, non-referential speaking. In a one universe system of this sort, Admitting that what we say is true only if it corresponds to what we say does not present a problem. In the first place, there is nothing else to be used in making such an evaluation, and in the second, there really is no truth to be told. Truth, bear in mind, is a relation between two things in different domains of existence. In short, when existence is confined to only one domain, it is neither true or false. Truth is a two-universe concept. In a one-universe system, truth has no meaning. And so, end quote. Yeah. <laughs> Love that quote. And so what I think she's saying there is that truth is a matter of learning a language that references the world around us, but that language still exists and still belongs to the same set of physical rules that guide the world around us and is not different from that. 
So what we're really saying when we talk about truth and when we're telling the truth is that truth is simply when we use that language consistent with our learning of that language and how others around it use that language or how they might consider it false if it's inconsistent with how we use it. That brings that accordance back in. Exactly right. Yeah. So it's not that a statement is necessarily true or false, except in the sense that the people around us would hear it as being inconsistent or consistent with how our language is supposed to represent reality. Okay. So true, even the word truth doesn't necessarily have any meaning, and the word false doesn't necessarily have any meaning, except for you as an English speaker... Hearing when I say the words, uh, when, when you hear the sounds come out of my mouth that uh, have the sound true, that you have learned is associated with something, and false is associated with the opposite thing. But those words don't exist apart from the reality that we're around of us, or mm-hmm. that is around us. They just apart, exist within that same reality. And so no statement is necessarily true or false because it's just a statement. And a statement can't be true or false. It just is. It's just the vibration of words in the air. Yeah. And the vibration of words in the air can't be true or false. They're just vibrations of words in the air. So let's bring this back in. Okay. So, so we, we got we really meta. We went yeah. way up in outer space <laughs> and we need to come back down. Yeah. Okay. So as I said, when now when we're speaking about what or, whether or not someone's being truthful or false, it really just has to do with whether or not they're using their language consistent with how we've learned it. Because let's say, for example, you've learned to call this an apple. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to call this a cup. Okay. And so people who can't obviously see because they're not here, I'm holding a cup in my hands. And so if I say, is this an apple? And you say, yes, you're telling the truth as far as what you know to be true. Because yep. that's what you've learned. And if I say, no, this is a cup, I'm now telling the truth, but it's not actually inconsistent with what you have learned. It's just different, right? Sounds like this could be useful in a lot of areas of life. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of ways that this ties in. And so let's get into when we're actually talking about under, under what circumstances are we, tell, are we telling the truth. So now that we have sort of set apart what truth is in this way, and we acknowledge that we use this criteria of true or false, knowing that true or false isn't real, and it can't exist apart from reality itself, then we can now turn to other discussions, just keeping that in mind. So we're going to talk about truth and how we use it, and just know that it does not exist apart from reality. It doesn't necessarily mean that a statement is definitively true or false. All right. Well, we'll see where we can go with this. Kay. This is not, I've not read as much haze in the past few <laughs> years. Yeah. So most of the time, uh, since you, you mentioned this, since we're using our language and it's consistent in the way we, we learned our language, right. we're telling the truth, right? Yeah. Now, there's this perception. I know even you and I would argue a little bit different between it. Um, you'd say that people really don't lie that much. I know on the other end, people think that people lie all the time. Sure. Right? And sure, there's going to be those people on the fringe of both. I would say, personally, that I think people lie more than they think, but when we look at a percentage of the words that we're talking about and these kind of like deliberate lies, like they're not that often, really. But your point was really here, I guess the point is that we, we don't lie nearly as much as we probably think we do. Yeah, and maybe as much as people might think that other people do. And yeah. because, especially if you think about it, if our way of speaking is to reference the world around us, if we couldn't rely on that to work, then our language would, I predict that our language would just collapse on itself. Because there'd be 
anything that anybody said, we wouldn't be able to use for anything. We yeah. we couldn't infer any meaning from it because we would never know whether or not they were actually using it in a way that was consistent with it. It'd be like speaking to someone in a different language altogether. Sounds like this is a very useful thing to think about when you're looking at politics or thinking about politics or looking at like where <laughs> yeah. different where different parties swing and where they believe right as yeah. like what should be set up for the country. Well, Not th- that one's right or the other, right? But they are speaking from the way in which they've kind of been taught. Yeah. And realizing that perspective is a very important first step. Yeah, and I think it's kind of funny to point out that when we start talking about lying, we'll really be bringing in a lot of politics and <laughs> <laughs> where that starts to exist. Fake news. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, yeah, the final point, I think, on telling the truth and when we're telling the truth and all of that is the fact that telling the truth is pretty easy at least it should seem really easy to us because it's what we're going to learn first. You really have to be able to use your language effectively in order for it to be true. And then you can, you might start to deviate from that. Um, And therefore lying is uh, learned and actually really has to happen only second to being able to tell the truth first. And I, and this is actually supported by the fact that there are developmental uh, milestones that include lying that we'll discuss in part two of this episode. when We get more into talking about lying and, but yeah, again, truth, telling the truth is easy. So you're really going to do it most of the time. You don't walk, you know, walk into a grocery store and you just walk to the cashier and hand them something that clearly costs $5. And you're like, this was free. You know, <laughs> that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, <laughs> but well, it might, you know, who knows? Yeah. So there's another perspective here and it's that we often use this true or false to try to identify like when people have done something right or wrong. Yeah, and right and wrong has its own relation to this idea of true and false, but let's just go with the idea that we, we can we can culturally agree on things that are right and wrong, and it, it certainly... We just, we just all agree on the right morals. So. <laughs> <laughs> let's just make that assumption. No, that's not no, what I'm saying. I know, I get you. Yeah, I just said to make that. That, that there is a right and wrong, not yes. what they are. Okay, um, but yeah, that it's it can be useful to look at truth, especially when we're trying to identify when are people doing things that are... Um, inappropriate or quote-unquote wrong, right? And so what are, what are some examples you can think of with this? So the judicial system jumps up, if, like, right. is the first thing. Yeah, it's totally. It's a heavy place to talk about these sort of things. It actually reminds me, I really want to do an episode on the lie detector. Matter of fact, okay. we, we could either do that inside of the lying episode or do a whole episode on the lie detector itself because it's got a lot of history and it's pretty yeah. interesting to talk about. Okay. Well, at least mention it in there. So, I mean, a criminal can admit, plea... Guilty, not guilty. There's all sorts of things that can go on there. Right? right. The degree to which the evidence suggests it was true or not that they did or did not do the thing that they said that they did or they didn't do. Or being right? accused of doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, accused. I should have used that word much sooner. <laughs> it's a very important one. Allegation. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it's certainly important, yeah, when we're looking at these court cases and trying to identify whether or not the person who's on the stand or the person who's entering their plea is telling the truth about what they have done and what their role in the situation was and all and telling all of the information that needs to be told. And if we were to just discard this idea of truth, then it might be really difficult to try and solve some of these crimes. So I under, I'm just trying to point to the fact that I understand where this is really useful inside of our culture. And I think another one that's really important is, again, bringing this idea of politics, is when you have an elected official who spreads information, and by information I mean in this case language or statements, that is inconsistent with the other facts, that is to say, other language and statements, um, mm-hmm. um, that we have about that information, that can be really profoundly damaging. And that gets into that more of the idea of lying, but it's useful to try and look at truth and say, 
is it important for our leaders and our politicians to be truthful? And if so, why? And how do we evaluate that? This focus on, again, even looking at these areas where it's useful to look at truth can become, this can actually become problematic. Yeah. So one, one thing that comes to mind is like, you could be so into this pursuit of quote unquote truth, right? right? That you forget what you're even looking at in the first place. Yeah. Like why you even started down this pursuit. Right. So maybe you're trying to like research some sort of article, you find something, you're trying to prove a point, and then it's just proving the point for the sake of the point rather than actually looking at the event itself, what actually happened. I could see that making some huge implications in the courtroom. Sure. And hopefully there's a lot of controls around that, right? To yeah. To make sure those sort of things aren't happening. One would hope. Um, yeah. But I know it's not perfect. Yeah, people can just sort of doggedly pursue these, and it creates a lot of animosity, just this idea of, I have to know the truth, tell me the truth, and yeah. and people go really go after it. And so that, that could be like wanting to really hear the criminal admit something as opposed to identifying what happened and helping resolve and remediate the situation and actually rehabilitate whomever as fast as possible. Right? Yeah, and help the victim in that case too. Yeah, yeah. that people... They're so concerned That's about... Was, sorry, the rehabilitate. I meant both. Okay. Not totally neglecting that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, people can come, become so concerned about hearing the truth from the criminal. And there might be elements of the, what they need to know that they haven't solved yet, or they're, you know, they're people who are still being victimized that they don't, haven't identified who they are, or they were victimized. You know, maybe they, they were someone who was murdered or something. And in those cases, it's really important. But it might be the case that you, they're so concerned with getting this person to admit the truth that everything else becomes less important and that all they care about is finding the truth. And as soon as they get the truth, then, they'll, then people treat this as, as in, okay, it's okay now. We, we've got them to at least admit it. We can go on with our lives. And it's, that doesn't at all change the fact that the event happened. It doesn't, you know, it, the people will become focused on that as opposed to how do we prevent this from ever happening again? Mm-hmm. How do we help this family or this person that was victimized by this? It's just, oh. We got the truth. I can go home now. My job is done. (laughs) And not to say that that's how it always is handled, but I have certainly have seen and been in situations where people are so concerned about the truth that they forget about what's practical and what's, you know, really important in those situations. So what are other uses of truth? So, yeah, another important one, I think, is what do we do about it? This, as I mentioned, the politician who's spreading misinformation or someone is telling lies, and those are actually having real-world consequences what do we do about this? Because it is maybe useful to look at this and say that they're, what they're saying is incorrect. They're lying and they're hurting people. And I actually think, and I don't want to upset people here, and I know mm-hmm. I'm going to, and I'm sorry in advance, but I kind of think it's really just not useful to get upset about the fact that they're lying and that acknowledge the fact that just telling the truth a lot of times isn't going to change the problem. It's not going to change the effect of what they have done in some of these cases, in a lot of cases it will, especially when it's just the language around it, right? But just getting upset about the fact that they're telling a lie, I don't, I don't really think that that's useful. Um, the language is just something that they did. They told something that, wasn't, that doesn't correspond, that doesn't have that correspondence we talked about. So what you're saying is all the other actions that go into it and all those other things, those things really matter. Yeah, and, and even you can treat that truth, that thing that they statement that they made, that's just another action, and that had a problematic effect. And it's not the fact that they lied, it's the fact that they did something that hurt someone else or had this inappropriate outcome elsewhere. It doesn't have any special meaning to it that it was true or false. It, it might even be the case that they, sem- they say something that's true, and that has an even worse effect than having said something that was false. Yeah. Or you might say something that was true that has a bad effect, and saying something false would have had a good effect. And so it's like getting a, hung up on the truth-lie aspect of this, it, it's not necessarily 
I think all that useful a lot of the time and instead just look at what were the actual outcomes of this. And for myself, I've really found that I have become, I just, I don't really care all that much. If people say, they tell me something and there was a lie and it didn't really affect me, I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like, I guess (laughs) you felt the need to tell me a lie. Okay. That's fine. It's a hard place to sit though. It is a hard place to sit and it's a hard place, I think, to try and tell other people that like, that's where I want to be. I yeah. like being in a place where I don't really care if people lie to me as long as it's not really having an adverse consequence. Now, if you were to do something like tell me the wrong directions to get here and I go to the wrong place, again, I'm not mad that you lied. I'm, I'm mad that you wasted my time and you sent me to the wrong place. And if you had told me the truth and I'd end up in the wrong place because you had the wrong information, then um, should I be more less upset about that because you did it with quote unquote good intentions? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so in that case, I'm less likely to be mad at all. So, okay. We'll get into this more next time when we get to the second part of this episode. But I guess what I'm just trying to say is that truth isn't always the only and most important way to go. But let's go ahead and get into t- getting people to tell the truth, which might, might be important to some. And this, is, this will be the last section before we wrap up this one. Okay? So I think... Getting back to my point of the actual outcomes and consequences of what people say and do, the main goal should just be to have people make humane decisions and do the thing that has the best outcome. Sounds very simple. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I agree. Simple at heart. Yeah. Hard to do. I would love to put a dent in the universe by teaching people everywhere just to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so... You know, and the other thing too is, is it truth if you just leave out details? Because I didn't walk in here and tell you about every bowel movement and every meal I had the last 24 hours. You don't need to hear every piece of information that could exist in the universe in order for that to be true. You know what I mean? (laughs) The point is just to make the best decisions that's going to have the best outcome for, for myself and for others, right? And so when are people most likely to tell the truth? I think there's a few circumstances, right? So one of the times they're likely to be telling the truth is when they're in a context in which telling the truth is very important. So you're in the courtroom. You should probably be telling the truth, and you're probably likely to tell the truth there, right? And less telling the truth is just going to get you in trouble, and there's not anything to say that what you're saying is incorrect. So in the presence of parents or other significant uh, others or loved ones or your boss, all those sort of situations, right? Yeah, you're most likely to tell the truth when you are around someone that you trust, when there is some kind of incentive to to tell the truth, when it's easy and when it's safe, or any combination of those things, right? So... Um, And we also are likely to tell the truth in circumstances that are promoting and incentivizing telling the truth. And, and, and that's just the, you know, the default, for example, I might have a secret that's really important to me, but maybe I end up in a situation where I'm around a stranger who doesn't know anything else about me, but I tell them all about that secret. And you might say, why would you tell a complete stranger? And I'm just going to say, the stranger just happens to be a doctor I'm going to see. And so this is maybe a medical (laughs) issue, right? (laughs) This is maybe a medical issue I don't want other people to know about, but I'm going to tell this other person because in those circumstances, it is, I am highly motivated to tell the truth about this because I need, I need help. And that person is someone's likely to help me. So thinking about, okay, we need a criminal to tell the truth. How can we get them to tell the truth about something? And Cops actually have been getting better and better about doing this is put them in a circumstance where they're likely to tell the truth. And one strategy I actually heard from uh, detectives who are doing interrogations is they will tell the, the criminal the truth about what they already know. And part of this context of telling them the truth, for whatever reason, well, actually, I think it makes perfect conceptual sense. Yeah. It creates a context in which they're more likely to then also fill in the gaps with what they know. So they might go and say, all right, listen, we know you were there. 
We know who you spoke to. We have pictures of you doing it. We know the weapon that you used, and we know what time you left. And what we just don't know is how you chose that location. Yeah. And in that sort of circumstance, those people are more likely to then sort of fill in um, just by having heard what, just hearing the truth. I'm hearing more about that. So if we stay to reinforce the truth, we're more likely to get the truth. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. What about the flip? So if we punish getting the truth. And, and this just is the general outcome of punishment. If you are, if you go about just punishing um, statements in general or any kind of behavior, or in this case, t- uh, telling the truth, then you're more likely to get lies. You know, and this is a, a thing of when people come in and they say, I messed up, I did something wrong, and then they tell you what they did, and then they get punished for telling you what, what they did, then they're far less likely to tell you what they did in the future. And I mean, I've had this experience myself. I know that there are people that I used I would I used to tell the truth to and have just learned I don't tell them the truth about everything. Yeah. Because if I do, then there's a lot of punishment for telling the truth. Yeah, I can think of a few people I do that with myself. Yeah. And and the and the opposite flip side as you just mentioned, if we reinforce things on in general, then we're more likely to get things like telling the truth. What about the extreme end? Yeah. Right? So we push all the way to like torture. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna get this out of you. Um, yeah, so the question is, does torture work to, to get people to tell the truth? No. No. And I mean, maybe yeah. it works occasionally, but as a strategy, yes. no. It's, it's no, super no, no. inconsistent, <laughs> yeah. People will say anything to make torture stop, they, to get out of it. And sometimes all they have is the truth and they'll tell the truth, but it might be a very believable lie that just gets you to stop and it gets back at you for torturing them. So they say, okay, 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 you've been torturing me. I'm just going to tell you it's over here. And you spend all your time and money and resources going over there only for them to go, yeah, I got you. <laughs> you know, and they, they or look at the torture to stop, uh, but, and, and it sent you on a wild goose chase. So it's, you know, torture really has, and this has just been shown over and over again, it does not work to consistently get the truth. Sometimes it will. But not often enough to justify it. And honestly, even if it did work, I don't think it would justify it. But that's me. What about a truth serum? <laughs> a truth serum. Yeah, so... I haven't found one. Have you? No. There's no such thing as a truth serum. So there's a few drugs that people have sort of talked about as being the truth serum. There's... Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce these. They're very difficult. Ethanol, scopol- scop- scopolamine, um, 3 quincildinylbenzylate. <laughs> these are impossible. My my dazolam, uh, flunitrazepam, sodium thiopental. I think it's thiopental, <laughs> and amobarbital. You clearly just found where the line in our professional vocabularies is at. Yeah, way extended. Okay, so anyway, these are some drugs that are sometimes regarded as being truth serum, and really all they do is they they create a state. For the persons, they put you in a state, a drug-induced state, where you just are very loopy, you're kind of out of touch, you're intoxicated, and you are you just aren't really attending to all the things that are going on because you're kind of messed up from these drugs. Yeah. Now, what that means is you're well, what what really happens in these situations is you're just as likely to get total nonsense. And by nonsense, I mean it sounds like words, like it sounds like they're telling you something, but is not even remotely true as you are an actual true statement. Cool. Yeah. yeah, there's there's no way to drug induce truth in somebody that we've found so far. Okay, so that and then that mostly wraps up what we wanted to talk about in terms of truth. Um, and so let's just hit some of these take home points really quick. So yeah, the biggest thing that we hit on is it's not a representation of reality. It's yeah. all language based. It has to do with how you are taught about it. 
you can have different views on those sort of things, right? Yeah. And really, you can only kind of critique it within the worldview that you have yourself. Yes, exactly. Taking it and critiquing someone else's from your worldview, just it's not going to get you anywhere. And it, yeah, it's just it's just a statement, and it's just a statement that exists inside of reality. So it can't specify whether or not reality is a certain way because it's just it's just words. Yeah. So and, and truth then, is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, right? it, it is. Yeah, okay. truth is in yeah or eye or ear maybe of the beholder. Um, <laughs> maybe you're reading it, so it's, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, you, no, you're absolutely right. That truth is sort of how how it gets interpreted. And then also, at least I don't, and I think in general, we don't necessarily get upset at a lack of truth, um, and we can even really get upset at an abundance of truth when there's too much truth-telling. When we hear people who just tell us everything all the time about everything they're doing, all the times our reaction to that is just stop, just stop. I don't need to hear it. I don't want to know. Just please stop. Um, So instead, we should really be more concerned with the actions and the effects of those actions and not so much the fact that it's either truth or it's uh, falsehood. And I personally believe that this obsession with truth and lies has actually really significantly contributed to the prevalence of, of lying in that we're so obsessed with it, it has become its own sort of... Um, I don't want to say culture, but it's its own way of reacting to things. It's its own thing. People are just basically just reacting to this dogged pursuit of truth in an almost that, what we talk about, the, um, the, oh, the bottom effect, the reactive one, reverse psychology. Yeah. In almost this reverse psychology way of uh, almost like trolling people, you know? Yeah. Um, just, <laughs> um, it, it's become its own almost industry because, you know... I mean, it is. Yeah, the, the people, they lie... And that almost becomes like their job because it's, it's so important that truth and lies exist separately from one another. That's an industry, but like it fuels industries. Right, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, industries will perpetuate truths in or, or perpetuate lies to exist. And it's and this concern with whether or not it's true or false instead of just like, look, you are producing something that is killing people and it is not helpful in any way. Yeah. And it just needs to be done. And I don't care what you say about it. It just needs to be done. Yeah. A good example, I guess, is uh, maybe to make it a little more relatable. It's like you can spend 25% of your time like working towards like a better world or system or whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? When yeah. it comes to truth or lie. When you can focus your 75% on all this fact that the fact that all of this lying may be occurring that you see. Yeah. That 75% is just a waste kind of in a way. And like the sooner you like proactively shift that over, right? Yeah the sooner you can start to like move forward and like things are a little bit better. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, very, it's very much so of, I, I don't care if, you're, if you tell me the truth about spilling this toxic chemical and, and destroying this whole lake of drinking water. People, just fix it. I don't, I don't care what story you have about it. Just fix it. Um, I don't care who's at yeah. fault about it. Just fix it. You know, it's just those are... And I think it, it's going to tie back eventually to also to money because oftentimes fixing it means who foots the bill for fixing it, who has mm-hmm. to spend the money to make that happen. But I think it's just important to acknowledge the the fact that just because they tell the truth, okay, yeah, we did it, that's great, that doesn't clean the lake. That doesn't solve your problem. Yeah. Just telling the truth about things doesn't fix the fact that they happen. And yeah, it can be helpful and it can really make, speed things up to tell the truth. And I understand why people are... But I think it's, uh, again, it's more important to be concerned about the, uh, the actions, the effects of those actions than just 
being so concerned about like, okay, well, at least it's true. Yeah, I'm not so mad at you for killing all those people because you told me the truth. I agree with you so long as we're not dismissing that that truth that they did say wasn't an important variable. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. Okay. And, I, and, again, and I don't want to, and again, I do want to bring back this point that it's not that we're saying that truth is unimportant. And it's not that we're saying that um, we, we, we're just going to lie to you and you just have to deal with it. Or that we're okay with people just lying to us and we're going to be okay with it. It's just to, to do with the fact that let's stop being so hyper-focused on whether or not it's true and be focused on what can we do about it. What can we do in the situation? Perfect. Sound it's good? Great place to end. Perfect. Let's go ahead and wrap it up there. All right, with that said, we could uh, really use a lot of help on reviews if you are interested in this. Honest is key. <laughs> Coming back to please be true. <laughs> um, so we don't care what they are. Leave them, leave them down in wherever it is, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. It helps us out, helps us grow. Um, with that said, you can reach us, listen to the credits if you want some more info. This is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We are out. listening to why we do what we do why we do what we do is supported in part by abai's disseminating behavior analysis special interest group and our amazing listeners if you like what you heard consider heading to our patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast anything helps and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters if you have any comments or questions we'd love to hear from you Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.